Hi, hello, and welcome to episode number 52 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Adi Elmore, and I am your host. Happy to be here. Should be a short and sweet episode this week. Not too much to talk about, but a few things that have been on my mind. First and foremost, go check out Elite Sports News. Go to EliteNewsUS.com for the latest on what's going on in the sports world. As we continue to get back to somewhat normal, go check out the site Elite Sports News, EliteNewsUS.com. I have a page there as well where you can follow along with the podcast and the episodes you may have missed. What's on today's episode? Well, let me just give you a rundown. The Reds stink. The Reds are terrible. I'm almost ready to give up on the Cincinnati Reds. I'll tell you why I'm not quite ready to do that yet. The NBA playoffs are in full swing, and they've been spectacular, including an incredible and very rare double bang from the Golden Pipes of Mike Breen on the ESPN ABC broadcast on Sunday. We'll talk about that. There was a rash of positive COVID-19 tests in the NFL. 77 ended up being false positives. We'll talk about that situation, what that means for the NFL moving forward, what exactly happened, and how it can be avoided. Plus, it brings up a question that I'm starting to have about this entire situation. Earl Thomas was released by the Baltimore Ravens in a really strange situation. We'll talk about that. Now the All-Pro safety is a free agent and looking for a home, and the team that everybody thought he'd be going to, well, maybe they're not interested in him either. That's going to be interesting to talk about. A little bit of news from college football. Some teams, some programs still going a full speed ahead. Other teams, other programs have seen a rash of positive COVID-19 tests. Colleges across the country are returning to classes, and they're returning a lot of posed, uh, of COVID-positive students to their campus. It's really going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. And for the first time in a long time, we'll wrap today's show up with an episode of Numbers Game. Number 52, you might imagine, uh, if you know anything about me, if you know anything about sports, who number 52 might be for the end of this show. But first, the Reds. The Reds are 11-16 and 16 at the time I'm recording this. They have lost something like four or five in a row. They have absolutely bottomed out as the worst hitting team in baseball. Even their good pitching pitchers, Trevor Bauer, struggled a little bit on Monday night. They can't get any run support for those guys whatsoever. For some reason, David Bell will not move Joey Votto out of the top three spots in the lineup. And I know what you're saying. Oh, just a couple weeks ago, you were talking about Joey Votto, Joey Votto, Joey Votto. Yes, I'm still a Joey Votto stan, but I can understand that when Joey Votto is not hitting well, you don't move him from two back to three and then from three up to one in the lineup. I don't understand why since even when Joey has struggled in the last 10 years of his Reds career, David Bell has been very adamant and Dusty Baker, and Brian Price, all three of those managers were very adamant about not moving Joey out of the top three spots in the lineup. It's perplexing to me. He's simply not producing at the moment. So move him back in the lineup. Period. Get your guys that are hitting up further in the lineup. And the argument could be made, well, nobody's hitting, so it doesn't really matter. But Joey Votto still seems to be a liability at the top of the lineup, and the Reds simply don't play well when he's in that position. That's number one. Number two, this season is obviously unique. And this season was a season the Reds were supposed to legitimately 
compete for the National League Central and for a World Series, period, point blank. They were picked to win the World Series by some people in the media. They were picked to win the National League Central by a lot of people. I know better usually than to drink the Kool-Aid on the Reds. I drink the Kool-Aid. I regret it. I'm throwing up right now because this team is awful. They are no fun to watch. They can't hit the baseball. The only the only thing that's like must-see TV for this team right now is watching Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray pitch, and I have enjoyed them. I have enjoyed them immensely. But now you're getting to the point in the season where you're five games under 500. You are approaching rapidly the halfway point of the year, and you don't know if Nick Castellanos is going to opt out of his contract, if Trevor Bauer is going to be back, and so on and so forth. And there's a couple more guys, similar situations. And the trade deadline is is in less than a week. So what do you do if you're the Reds? Do you trade Trevor Bauer? Are you going to give up on this season? What is your plan for the rest of the year? David Bell, and I have been a defendant of David Bell. I've been a David Bell apologist for most of his time in Cincinnati going up on, this is his second season. I'm struggling to understand what he's doing. Like I said earlier about not moving Joey Votto out of the top of the lineup, it just doesn't make sense. The love affair with left-handed hitters against right-handed pitchers. I understand the analytics under I I understand the analytics of it. I understand why he's doing it. But at some point you say, "Ah oh, gosh, this isn't working. It didn't work all last year. It's not working so far this year. Maybe let me just go against the grain for a second and see what I learn. See what we can do." So, I just really don't understand I just really don't understand what what he's doing and and you you look up with this season they have a 60 player pool that they can pick and choose and so on and so forth and in that 60 player pool working out at Prasco Park in Mason Ohio are Aristides Aquino who took the league by storm when he showed up here last August last September you've got Tyler Stevenson who is one of your top prospects first of all in all of baseball and and your entire organization who by the way did play earlier this season he hit a home run he walked and he singled he single handedly won the game for the Reds that night. He's better than the below 200 average you're getting from Tucker Barnhart and Kurt Casale. Listen, I've played a grand total of zero Major League Baseball games in my life. My career war, which is wins above replacement and a very commonly used metric in baseball analytics these days, my career war is higher at 0.0 than Tucker Barnhart's is at negative 0.2. I could step onto the field, get hit by a pitch, score a run, and my war is just blowing Tucker Barnhart out of the water. At least that's my understanding. I could be wrong. But still, the fact of the matter is I've never played a major league game and my war is is higher than his. This guy is a top prospect. He is your future. You're five games under 500. You can't hit. He's right up the road for a reason. Why isn't he down here? What is Philip Irvin giving you that Aristides Aquino can't give you? What is Shogo Akiyama giving you, which, by the way, is very little, that Aristides Aquino can't give you? I don't understand it. I don't understand it whatsoever. After the Reds lost on Sunday to the St. Louis Cardinals to lose three out of four, and quite honestly, they probably should have lost all four of those games. Rossiella Galicius blew a save. Matt Davidson had a quite honestly a lucky pinch hit grand slam 
And uh, other than that, that was that was about all for the Reds. But let's say they they should have lost all four of those games, but they won three. They, they won one of them, and they lost three. And David Bell had this to say after the game, and it just really drives me nuts. We believe in our team. You know, we believe in our lineup. Uh, believe in our our guys that uh, you know don't start every day. We we have get we've gotten good contributions from the guys off the bench. Um, no, I mean I, I'll, I'll go to the, the end of the season with this team and see where we end up. And, and that's not to say you're not <clears throat> evaluating and willing to make adjustments, but at the same time, we have good players. You don't, you don't, you just don't do that to, to good players. You stay with them, and you know through the course of the season, even in a, a short season, it's it's going to happen. You know these guys are going to turn it around and. Um, yeah, we're we're looking for ways to get better each day, and anything, anything on top of that is just supporting one another. Can you hear the hypocrisy in that? He says, "We're committed to this team. We believe in this team, and we're going to ride these good players out to the end of the season." And then he says, "We're looking every day at ways to get better." That's obviously not true because if you're looking at ways to get better, that means. A, shuffling the lineup, B, getting rid of Cody Reed, which they did today, finally. C, maybe calling up Aristides Aquino or Tyler Stevenson or Jose Garcia, who today they just added to the taxi squad, which means he probably still won't play, but he's at least around. So which is it, David Bell? Are you committed to getting better? Are you open to trying new things? Are you just going to try to ride this out? Listen, as it stands right now, the Chicago Cubs are 18 and 10. Milwaukee is 12 and 15. St. Louis, I think, is 9 and 8 or 10 and 8. The Pirates are not in the conversation. But the Reds are three and a half, four games out of the playoffs right now. Five games under 500. They have a they still have, as it currently stands, a 13 and a half percent chance of making the playoffs. I think I here's why I'm not ready to totally give up on the Reds. Because I look at that starting rotation, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer. The the three, that top three in your rotation can go and ride with anybody, period, point blank. No doubt about that. You know you have talent on the offensive side. Nick Castellanos, Jesse Winker, Joey Votto, Eugenio Suarez, who's starting to come around. He's hit a couple home runs in recent games. You know you have the offensive talent to be competitive. You know you have the pitching to keep you in games. Their goal right now should do anything and should be to do anything and everything possible to get them to the playoffs in any way, shape, or form. The wild card round this year, because of the new format, is three games. It's not just one game. Those three games, you're going to have Bauer, Gray, and Castillo pitching. I like your chances. All you got to do is make the dance. Period, point blank. All you got to do is make the dance. So you need to be putting all of your eggs in one basket to do anything you can to make the playoffs right now. What I see from this team suggests there's no chance in hell they make the playoffs. But what I know from these players, what I've seen from Suarez, what I've seen from Winker, what I've seen from Votto in the past, what I've seen from Nick Castellanos, and what I've seen from those top three pitchers in the starting rotation is that those are enough to carry you on a hot streak and get you going and take you to the playoffs. The Reds have the high, the hardest hit baseball percentage, I think the highest exit velocity 
of any team in baseball, which means they're hammering the baseball, but they're hitting it right at people because their batting average on balls in play is the lowest in the league. So they're just hitting balls right at people. So that suggests that, okay, maybe they've just been really unlucky. Maybe they'll start to come around and they won't hit everything at at people. Maybe Joey Votto and Eugenio Suarez return to the back of their baseball card and you know what they're capable of and you start to see that from them. Maybe Luis Castillo starts to go a little deeper into games. Maybe Nick Castellanos turns into the MVP candidate he was last year and you've seen him to be time and time again in his career. That's why I'm not ready to give up totally because, again, you knew coming into this season the Reds were going to lose 15 games and they were going to win 15 games, and then it was what they did with the other 30. Well, here they are now. They're at 15 losses, 16 losses now, but they're only at 11 wins, so you're starting in the hole. That's not to say with games coming up against the Pittsburgh Pirates, with games coming up against the Chicago Cubs, that you cannot make some headway in this division and put yourself in a position to to make the playoffs. But it's got to be now. It has to be now. So do something to spice it up. Shift Shift the lineup around. Keep letting Jesse Winker hit against lefties because he's hitting everything. Bring up Aristides Aquino. Let's see Tyler Stevenson. What can it hurt? Because if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to lose and you're going to miss the playoffs anyways. Make something happen, David Bell. All right. I feel better. Hopefully you do too. Hopefully the Reds win the game that they're about to play as I record this. The NBA playoffs have been excellent. My Boston Celtics, who they're not my favorite team, but I picked them this year. I think the Celtics are incredible, as, you, as you've known from my podcast in the past. The Boston Celtics, they swept... The Philadelphia 76ers, the Philadelphia 76ers then turned around and fired their head coach, Brett Brown. The Miami Heat have swept the Indiana Pacers, who I thought the Pacers were going to make a lot more noise than they did, but the Heat were just they were just way better than the Pacers in that series. Uh, the Lakers have gone up three games to one over the Blazers. LeBron James with an almost perfect performance, as Damian Duff put it to me in a text last night. Uh, on uh, 824 on Kobe Day, the day after Kobe's birthday, wearing the all-black Mamba uniforms. The Lakers played spectacular. Um, they're, they're looking better. I think it's interesting the conversation has shifted about the Lakers from Game 1 to Game 4 now and uh, going into Game 5 because the first two, towards the end of the regular season in the first game of the, the playoffs, they couldn't shoot for anything. They were awful. And everyone started to say, oh, gosh, I don't know about these Lakers. They might not make it past the second round if they get past Portland. If they get past Portland, people said. I think with Portland, they just ran out of gas. They had to play so well every game in the bubble, get to the playoffs. Then you go up against the number one seed in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You you just run out of gas eventually, and I think that's what happened to Portland. Um, but you look at the East. Toronto is going to be wrapping things up here shortly. Uh, Boston or Toronto already did wrap things up. Actually, Toronto and Boston are going to play. That's the game. I think the winner of that series, I think comes out of the East, the Milwaukee bucks is who I meant to say they are. Um, they're wrapping things up right now with the Orlando magic. They'll take care of them here shortly. It's going to be really interesting. And the series that might be the most intriguing is in the Western conference. That's the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers. And the Clippers look lifeless. The playoff P, Paul George, nowhere to be found. 
And you've got a young, up-and-coming, absolute superstar in Luka Doncic who is becoming quickly one of the top five players in the league. And he did this on Sunday. Smith to inbound. Back to Doncic. Doncic pulls up, three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good! Doncic wins the game at the buzzer! Let's go! How about that? How good is that? Mike Breen, double bang, Luca from 30-plus feet, throws one up, bang. Mavs tie the series. It's just it's just incredible. And there's people picking the Clippers who – people pick the Clippers to, to go to the NBA Finals. People pick the Clippers to essentially cakewalk through the West. People have been picking the Lakers and the Clippers showdown um, for everything – in the Western Conference, it's just not happening. Man, I'll tell you what. Doncic, he's so much fun to watch, man. He's just so fun to watch. I enjoy watching him play. And and, and that moment right there was his quote-unquote coming out party from everything we've already seen from him. He's incredible. But that was that big signature moment, the first of his career in a playoff game. If the Mavs can knock off Clippers here in the first round, that would set up a pretty interesting matchup with the Utah Jazz, who are likely going to finish off the Denver Nuggets. They're up 3-1 to one in that series. So a lot going on in the NBA playoffs. I'm interested. I, I still think the Celtics are going to be the team that comes out of the East, and it's hard hard for me to bet against the Lakers as it currently stands coming out of the West. But the Clippers, the, the Mavs, the Houston Rockets, they're still still—they're tied two, two games to two with the Oklahoma City Thunder. There's still a lot that could happen in the West, but I'm still picking the Lakers, I think, as the team that's going to come out of the West. So a lot of good stuff. Great call from Mike Breen there. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, the NFL had a string of positive tests over the weekend. And uh, be real honest with you, it was not good, Ernie. We'll explain that and more when we get back. on the. We'll explain that and more in a minute on the Bottle Don't Lie podcast. Welcome back to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Appreciate you listening to that. There was a a situation this weekend in the National Football League that caused my ears to perk up, the ears of many to perk up around the National Football League and around the sports world. See, the NFL has caught some criticism for the fact that they aren't necessarily doing a per se bubble, uh, but they are essentially going full steam ahead with, uh, with various precautions and team-by-team basis and things like that. And I believe it was on Sunday morning, there was a announcement that there was a, a string of positive tests coming from a lab in New Jersey that a lot of teams send their testing samples to. And the, the lab is called BioReference. And teams like the Lions, the Browns, the Patriots, the Jets, the Giants, etc., all in all, there were 77 samples that came back as positive. And the NFL immediately put up the red flag saying, hold up, this isn't right. There's no way that this happened just out of nowhere. So they said, hold on, we're going to get in charge. We're, we're letting everybody know. They told everybody who tested positive, so on and so forth, so the teams could take precautions, the players could take precautions. But they said, we're not buying this right away because this is completely opposite of everything we've seen so far throughout our testing. 
And so the teams were given the opportunity, you know, obviously to, to lay low and wait on all that. So they do this investigation with the lab. They pull out these samples. They retest them. They go through all the different hoops you have to go through. Come to find out all 77 of them were false positives, which is just insane that somehow they got, I, I can't think of the word right now, but some they got contaminated or something to the point that they had 77 false positives. So the first thing you think is, first of all, how the hell does that happen? Number one, what if this had happened during the season and somebody missed a positive test or somebody missed a game because of a positive test that wasn't a positive test? Like, that's insane. It's crazy for that to have even been in the situation, like been for them to have even been in that situation. You look at the NFL, who immediately, and to their credit, immediately questioned what was going on and said, hold up, this needs to be looked at because there's no way that this is this is true. And so if this had been during the season, it could have been an absolute disaster. I have heard that one of the plans is to have people test on Thursday, Friday, and then essentially bubble Saturday or Friday, Saturday before the game Sunday so that the test results will be back and confirmed by Sunday so that everyone would be safe and ready to play on Sundays for the games. That obviously makes a lot of sense. I think that's going to be essentially the plan for most places. But it's just it's just it's crazy. And then you look at from August 12th to August 20th in the NFL. This is why the red flag went up right away. From August 12th to August 20th, there were 58,397 tests administered by the NFL. This is from Dr. Alan Sills, their their chief medical officer including 23 of those 58,000 were to players, six confirmed six confirmed positive tests, zero among players. That's very, very good for the NFL. And here's the question that I'm starting to have about all this, okay? There have been several different, and I'm, listen, let me preface this. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I believe 100% in the coronavirus. I believe in what it does to people. I believe that, it is a very real thing, and it's a very serious issue. That's 100,000%, no doubt about it. That's how I think. That's how I feel. That being said, I think I'm not crazy to, to say that we have had a lot of problems with testing, with false positives, with all sorts of different issues. The, the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, for example, he tested positive, rushes back to Columbus, gets three tests, three different types of tests, excuse me, gets three more tests, a different type of test than when he tested positive, test negative on all three of those tests. Same situation essentially is what happened with this lab in New Jersey. There are horror stories all across the country of people saying that they had false positives, that they tested positive and they didn't even actually get tested. There's all sorts of these things, and there's an example for any point of view you want to look at. So my question is, is... Looking at the sports model, these leagues have enough money and power to get high-quality testing and rapid response. They're keeping everybody essentially apart from everyone else, masked up, heavy protocols, and bubbling when they can. They have had a lot of success 
the NFL included. Major League Baseball has been your biggest issue, but that's it. I wonder because, and, and this is a lot of tests. This isn't a small sample size of tests. When you look at MLS, NBA, NFL, NHL, and MLB, that is hundreds of thousands of tests and very, very few positives. So it makes me wonder if the positivity rate is different on certain tests. So it AJ Green and Joe Burrow and whoever can go and get these consistent tests every single day, get the results back quickly, and a high-quality, high-level, expensive test. But Joe Schmo goes to his local Walgreens, and he doesn't maybe get the exact same test, but he might test positive. Or, and then he might go somewhere else and test again and might test negative. So that's why I'm wondering, is the sports model the more accurate model for what is going on across the country? I don't know. I think, first and foremost, I think we'd be naive to say politics doesn't play some sort of role in this especially with a, with an election coming up. No matter what side you're on, I think we would all be naive to say that there is not a role being played by politics in this. Whether or not that's right or wrong, I think it's a fact. So I wonder about the sports model, and I wonder about if it's actually a more accurate depiction of what we're seeing with coronavirus. I wonder if that means that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 will regret playing not playing football this year. I wonder what it means for these seasons moving forward, specifically with the NFL, uh, specifically with Major League Baseball. It's just a, it. It's been brought up, and and you know, you wonder how many times has that happened in the past, and not with a major team or a franchise or several teams in this case, but with a, a neighborhood of people or with a township of people. Uh, an entire county or a community, how many times has have their labs gotten it wrong? You know, it's just, it's something to think about. And I think it's, uh, I think it's really interesting. And I'm glad that the sports leagues do have the money and the power and the resources to be able to do this and be the example of what this should be um, to everybody. These guys are following protocols. They're being tested consistently. They're quarantining. They're wearing masks. They have, teams of medical experts and um, people to sanitize and clean their facilities. I understand not everybody has access to all those things, but it is still an example of what this all should be in order to eradicate this virus, as you've seen with the NBA bubble for a a beautiful example of that. So really interesting. Um, all All those players got retested. Everybody came back negative. All those samples came back negative after it was found what happened. So on and so forth. Um, Two quick things about the NFL I want to touch on. Earl Thomas was released by the Baltimore Ravens. He got in a fight with one of his teammates. And then I guess the leadership of the team approached John Harbaugh and said they don't really want him a part of the team. Earl Thomas has had a tumultuous offseason, not related to just COVID stuff, but he was found in bed with his brother and another woman that wasn't his wife over the offseason, which was a very strange situation, as you can imagine. He's flipped off Pete Carroll when he got hurt playing for the Seattle Seahawks. He openly went into the Dallas Cowboy locker room while a member of the Seattle Seahawks telling Jason Garrett to come and get him because he wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy. It's been kind of a strange couple of years. He became a free agent, didn't sign with Dallas, goes to the Baltimore Ravens, becomes a part of a really good secondary that they have there. 
And then this happens. And apparently this had been kind of building up for quite some time because I guess Earl Thomas isn't that great of a, of a teammate, despite the fact that he's an all pro caliber receiver or excuse me, safety and one of the best safeties in the national football league. So I think that's really interesting. I found it ironic that he gets kicked off the team suspended by Baltimore and then released and Lamar Jackson, their MVP quarterback, said a couple of weeks ago that they should really sign Antonio Brown. I mean, you can't have Earl Thomas. You can't have Antonio Brown. Another thing about and regarding to the Cincinnati Bengals, I was sent a video on Monday up close of Bobby Hart, the um, the right tackle of the Cincinnati Bengals, and He's often discussed and considered the weak link of weak link of the offensive line. He has posted some very questionable things on his social media. You really question Bobby Hart's state of mind at times, not only on the football field but off of it. And more than anything, he just hasn't produced. He has not been very good as a right tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals. And everyone got mad at the Bengals because they signed him to a three-year, $21 million contract. And first and foremost, that's not that expensive for a a right tackle. It's not starting tackle money. It's basically backup tackle money. But the problem is they gave a backup quality tackle, backup quality money to start. And there was video from training camp on Monday that was sent to me of an undrafted free agent who weighs 230 pounds. He's not very tall. He's a defensive end. And he makes light work of Bobby Hart on multiple occasions. And so my question upon watching that, and I've watched it about 50 times, is if you're Zach Taylor, how do you sleep at night? How does Zach Taylor sleep at night? You know, because the rest of Zach Taylor's coaching career is tied to Joe Burrow. Is it not? You've got A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, C.J. Uzama, Joe Mixon, Gio Bernard, T. Higgins, Drew Sample. You've got all these weapons on offense. The offense is expected to take a significant step forward this year now that Joe Burrow's in the picture. And you've got two players that have stood out on the offensive line as good quality players this training camp. Jonah Williams, who's going to be a rookie in the NFL, and Trey Hopkins, an established veteran solid center. Michael Jordan, a second-year player out of Ohio State, has struggled mightily. Xavier Suofilo, who you spent a little bit of money on in in the offseason, who was, I'm sure Houston Texans fans would call him a bust. He's on his third team in seven years after being this 22nd or 33rd overall pick or something in the NFL draft. He has been less than impressive. Fred Johnson and Bobby Hart are battling for the right tackle spot, and they both have looked awful. Well, I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing? The offense, as everyone knows, an offense doesn't – it's all about the offensive line. It doesn't move without the offensive line. And so you just wonder, if I'm Zach Taylor, I I mean, how does the man sleep at night? And I like Zach Taylor. I believe in Zach Taylor. But how do you sleep at night knowing that guy is your right tackle and he's supposed to be protecting the future of, A, Zach Taylor's career, and, B, the franchise as a whole in Cincinnati? How do you you sleep at night? I would not be able to sleep. And I understand there's teams all over the NFL that have significant offensive line problems. And that's fair. But 
I mean, there's got to be somebody better than what Bobby Hart has been the last several years for the Cincinnati Bengals. And that's just something that has has been bothering me. Quickly on college football, there's been some teams that have had uh, some some COVID testing problems. Uh, Alabama has a bunch of positive COVID tests. Texas Tech has 21 positive COVID tests on their football team alone. Everything seems to continue to be all systems go uh, for college football, for those conferences. On Monday, the College Football Playoff Committee, they released their 2020 Selection Committee rankings dates. They're going to release their first uh, rankings on Tuesday, November 17th. They will do every Tuesday after that, leading up to Tuesday, December 15th. Uh, Sunday, December 20th will be the official college football playoff selection day. Friday, January 1st will be the semifinal games. The Rose Bowl will host a semifinal this year. The Sugar Bowl will host a sugar uh, a uh, semifinal this year. And those are on January 1st. And Monday, January 11th will be the national championship game in Miami, Florida. This obviously is all tentative, but this basically says to the Big Ten and to the Pac-12, we don't care that you're playing in the spring. This is our event. We're going to do it this way. I don't blame them at all. I would be surprised as the way things currently stand if we make it this far, but I also would not be all that surprised if somehow they found a way to do this. There's too much money involved, and I don't know if I'd call this a legitimate champion because you're missing two major conferences. You might miss a lot of players over the course of the season. Uh, there's a lot to there, there's a lot that goes into this with college football and. It's just gonna be it's gonna be really strange. I mean, the the top twenty five poll was released. The AP top twenty five poll was released over the weekend. Clemson comes in at number one. Ohio State's number two. Like Notre Dame's ten. Penn State's seven. Like a bunch of these teams. Like seven of the top twenty teams are not playing, but they all got ranked. It's just very strange. Um, so I don't know what to think about all that. But apparently, I mean, you think there's like. 76 or 77 teams that are still planning on playing this year. Notre Dame, or excuse me, North Dakota State. This is really strange. North Dakota State is going to play one game against Central Arkansas. And the the reason for that is basically so they can showcase Trey Lance, their quarterback. Trey Lance threw 28 touchdowns, zero interceptions last year. So playing against Central Arkansas, you might say, well, if there's if they're playing one game, what's the point? Well, for him, it's basically, and for them, they're showing it, showing this guy off. And North Dakota State, also where Carson Wentz came from, and they've had some good quarterbacks and a very successful program at that level. It's basically going to be a pro day for him in a game situation. I mean, very, very odd. They're going to play one game. I think Army or Navy or somebody is only playing like two games. They're playing like Air Force and another academy. It's just it's just really crazy. And then the big news of the day in Cincinnati was Luke Fickle signing a contract extension with the University of Cincinnati. It came out he he turned down jobs from Florida State, Michigan State, Baylor, so on and so forth. His son is coming to the University of Cincinnati. They are ranked 20th in that preseason poll. A lot of people are picking the Bearcats to have a very good season. Uh, I guess that's going to be the team I'm rolling with since the Buckeyes aren't going to be playing in the fall. I'm going to be rooting for the Bearcats, and obviously my job has a, has a lot to do with that. Uh, but I also don't want to root for them because the Bearcat fans hate Ohio State for no reason at all, and I get ridiculed every time I step in this building with an Ohio State shirt on. Uh, so I might not give them any of my respect or attention at all. We'll see about that. But um, 
Yeah, interesting nonetheless. Luke Fickle continues to stay at UC, gets some money, all privately funded by donors, which was pretty cool, I thought, as well. Okay, so that's everything from the NFL, the Reds, the NBA, and a little bit of college football. Now let's play numbers game. Numbers game, as I do every once in a while on here. I used to do it every week, but then I'm like, you know, it's not as special if you do it every week. So number 52, episode number 52, we talk about an athlete who wore that number And when it comes to athletes who wore this number, there's none better than this man. Ray Lewis, a member of the Baltimore Ravens from 1996 to 2012. He was the 26th pick overall in the first round of the 1996 draft out of the U, Miami, Florida. He was born May 15th, 1975 in Florida, 6'1", 240, a two-time Super Bowl champion, a Super Bowl MVP in Super Bowl 35, and what was and still is widely considered the best defense in the history of the NFL, coordinated by Marvin Lewis, by the way. He won. Or he was in 13 Pro Bowls. He was a seven-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, two-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, the NFL 2000s All-Decade Team. He was on the NFL 100th Anniversary All-Time Team this past season. He's in the Ravens Ring of Honor, and he's a first-time, two-team, two-time first-team All-American While at the U, he is inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He finishes his NFL career with over 2,000 tackles, 41.5 sacks, 31 interceptions, 17 forced fumbles, 20 fumble recoveries, and three touchdowns. He was also on the cover of Madden NFL 2005. He is one of the all-time best to ever do it. There is a lot of controversy around Ray Lewis. There will be from now until his last day on earth and even after that. But what cannot be criticized and what cannot be discussed really and all that, you can't argue that he is one of the all-time great players that's ever played the game of football. An absolute joy to watch. He terrorized the Bengals for years, uh, but always had a ton of respect for Ray Lewis. He brought the wood all the time, and he was an absolute unequivocal beast every time he stepped onto the field. So that basically does it for me. I know I said a lot and a little and a little and a lot and all that stuff all together, but uh, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you being here next week. Who knows what we're going to talk about. We're going to be a week closer to the NFL season. We're going to find out some things about some college programs, no doubt about that. Uh, The Reds, where are they going to be? What are they going to have done or what will they have done over the past week over the next week, I should say, that's going to put them in position for the rest of this season. We'll find out more about the NBA playoffs. They'll be into the second round by then. All that and so much more. I can't wait to talk to you next week on episode 53 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Be sure to check out Elite Sports News at EliteNewsUS.com. And uh, remember, Ball Don't Lie. In the meantime, have fun. Be safe. Go Bucks. <laughs>